On air, online, on digital, digital, and the ABC Listen app. The Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Coming up today, a unique map to prevent the carrot seeds from being cross-pollinated. One of the major steps in producing pure carrot seed or, or vegetable seed in any sort when we're producing hybrid crops is uh, maintaining good isolation between fields. That can come in two forms and one of them is isolation from other crops of different types or different varieties. And how sweet it is, a new and much sweeter variety of strawberries. So we've got uh, some of the very first Zara strawberries. Um, Zara, it's a new variety um, that has been commercialized in, in, in Tasmania. It's the variety that it goes uh, in our sweetest batch uh, label. That's uh, a super sweet strawberries. The new sweeter strawberry on the lunchtime menu today, along with protecting the carrot seeds with a special map outlining where commercial crops are grown throughout the state. Those stories coming up. G'day, Tony, with you on this midweek Wednesday, which does mean Richard Bailey and the livestock markets a little bit later in the program. Last one of the year at Power Rennie yesterday and a very quick sale. Details coming up in the second half of the program, along with a look at how the local oyster industry is shaping up for Christmas. A check on the weather as well, and we'll take your thoughts on any issue via the text line 0438 936. That number, 0438 936. First up, the Australian Shooters Union says it doesn't want to see a national gun register, preferring instead for police to have instant access to interstate firearm licence details like they do for car licences and vehicle registrations. Calls are growing for a national discussion on gun reform as today's memorial service for two Queensland police officers occurs. President of the Shooters Union Australia, Graham Park, says the proposal's been talked about for years but has never found national support. There are huge benefits to be had by real-time access and that's where I would agree with uh, uh, Queensland Police Union and, and others that a real-time access is very helpful to police. Like if you're driving your car in New South Wales and you get stopped by the police, they can instantly on the side of the road check that that car is legally registered in Queensland, that you're a, a legally operating driver, your licence is current. They can do all that from the side of the road. Why can't we do that with firearms? There's no national registry of your motor vehicle, but they can still do it because they have access to all the state-based data, which is already there, inexpensive to do, and very quick and effective, and we would support fully. I'm quite surprised that this already is not done. What's the obstacles, or why has this not been pursued? Uh a severe lack of, of administrative or political will. The legislation had, was put in place in 1996 to do this in the uh, National Firearms Agreement that all the states signed up to, and they are supposed to have done this. I've been sitting on various federal and state government committees for many, many years, and it's talked about all the time. It is in progress. They've spent many millions of dollars playing around with federal systems but at a state level they've just never really done something as simple as make it so that a Queensland police officer can press a button and look at um, material in Victoria or New South Wales which seems strange when it happens on a daily basis with motor vehicles it's a very simple thing to do uh, so you're implying that it might not even need you know, state or federal government legislative change? It doesn't. 
I'm not implying it. I'm saying it outright. It really doesn't. Uh, it's it's been in place for a long time. It, it requires action to do it, not uh, full-on legislation. There might be some regulatory change or very small things, but it's tiny. Um, but the, the basis is already there. There are people working, have been working at federal level for a long time. There are people who've been working at in different states. The other question is whether in this case that's prompted the discussion on it, it would have made any difference. Um, but that's a separate question. Uh, I think there's there's very legitimate argument for real-time access by, by law enforcement. It actually helps firearm owners as well because let's say that I'm going to a competition in New South Wales or Victoria and I'm stopped on the road for some reason, then instead of being perhaps kept for an hour or two while they check something out, instantly they can look and go, oh, yes, you're on your way, just like they do with your driver's licence. Further to this conversation about a national firearms registry, uh, calls are growing for a national discussion on gun reform, Uh, again, you could say. Why would you say uh, your members need and require their guns, especially the majority who live on rural properties? Well, they they use the people on rural properties in regional areas. They they're using them on an ongoing basis as part of their occupation, um, and there's no way you can run uh, an agricultural enterprise without firearms of some sort. Um, and that's not a really. I think most people recognise that. I think most people also recognise that in regional communities, the sporting aspects of firearms are a real community builder, and Australia has an incredibly good record of, of lack of misuse of firearms. The, the toll, the, the death from criminal misuse of firearms in Australia is very, very low. You are more likely to die statistically falling off a table or a chair in Australia than being shot. The reality is that 95% of criminal misuse of firearms is done by people who don't have licenses, never had a license, and by guns that you know were either illegally imported or manufactured or stolen or something, one of the above. It's not related to firearm, or legitimate firearm owners, and yet 95% of the government funding is all about regulating legitimate people, farmers and target shooters. Shouldn't we be spending 95% of the money looking at criminals? Graham Park, President of the Shooters' Union Australia, speaking there with Amy Phillips and the Queensland Premier as well as the Prime Minister have already committed to raising gun laws at the next National Cabinet meeting. Oyster growers are flat out lifting stock from the water in Tasmania in the lead up to the traditional Christmas splurge on seafood. And despite a myriad of environmental closures this year, production has climbed back up to levels not seen since 2015. Larissa Smith spoke to Duncan Spender from Oysters Tasmania. We have had a couple of lean years from the mid 2010s. So from 2015 onwards, we had uh, POMS disease affecting uh, oysters and then COVID-19 hit our industry quite hard. So we're now recovering to the sort of volumes that we saw in around 2015. So that's about 3.6 million dozens in the year. So we're a growing industry and we're pretty happy to be back at those levels and we're looking to continue to grow. So what is the farm gate value for this uh, this current season? Well, we're getting reports of, say, prices 
at roughly $12 a, a dozen for farm gate value. Now, obviously, we've got different uh, size products and different grade products, but that's, that's a bit of an average. So consumers will be seeing, uh, continuing to see prices uh, under $20 uh, a dozen at retail outlets. So we think that's uh, really uh, great access for consumers to our product at Christmas time, but we're happy that we're getting a pretty solid prices at the farm gate. We're seeing uh, strong demand across the mainland and our product is mostly sold across Australia. We're hoping that as the years progress, we can move on from uh, the, the COVID worries and the disease ha- hassles we had a decade ago. So we're looking forward to a good couple of years going ahead. On the supply side, we do have uh, competition from mainland suppliers of oysters. New South Wales suppliers in parts have been hit through their own issues this year, including floods, but we're getting good reports that Sydney Rock Oyster um, supply is largely back online. So there's a lot of oysters uh, being pulled out of the water all over Australia and uh, ending up in Christmas feast. Now, the weather has contributed to a lot of closures on oyster leases this season in Tasmania. What's the financial fallout been there for uh, a lot of the growers? Well, it makes life a whole lot more difficult. It's a logistical issue. With a lot of farmers, we're uh, feeling the impacts of La Nina. It's a bit peculiar in the oyster trade that rain is often uh, problematic. And uh, that means we've got too much fresh water running down our riverways and we need uh, reasonably saline conditions for our oysters to be harvested. So that means uh, oyster growers need to be pretty agile in uh, moving staff and moving their plans and moving their sales plans to only uh, harvest at the times that uh, we're open and our our oysters are of top quality and our water quality is perfect. And so that means uh, it's pretty important that we have days like today where in much of the state uh, it's not raining uh, so we can uh, pull our oysters out of the water and get them to, to market for, for Christmas. Fortunately, we've had, as you noted, a lot of uh, rain-related closures over the past month, but uh, our reports from growers is they've still been able to uh, pull their oysters out of the water in great condition over the past three weeks as uh, consumption really ramps up. So, yes, it makes things difficult. Uh, It's a a logistical nightmare for some. But, uh, yeah, we've had enough uh, open days to be able to supply our quality product. There's also been a lot of spills from Taz Water, uh, which growers have no control over. What's the industry Mm. doing with the government to address what seems to be a perpetual problem? Well, I think it's a problem for the entire state. And yes, our organisation, Oysters Tasmania, has devoted a lot of our time to talk to every agency under the sun and to Taswater uh, directly. We uh, basically just take a hit as an industry uh, because we only ever um, supply oysters from pristine waters. So if an area is affected by Taswater, that's just the area isn't basically open for oyster production. So we just take that hit and it doesn't affect um, any oysters that we put on the market. They only ever come from uh, completely unaffected areas. But it does mean our industry just takes a hit and it's smaller and operating in fewer areas than what it could be. And that applies uh, generally for a range of industries, but also it's an impact for just everyday Tasmanians. So right now, Tasmanians will be unwittingly fishing in and um, swimming in 
areas that are affected by Taswater spills that aren't widely publicised. We as industry get notified of anything in our neck of the woods, but we're concerned that it is a big statewide problem. Uh, We talk to uh, pretty much every politician under the sun to try to work out uh, a way ahead and all their regulators. And uh, Taswater are coming to the party as well. We've got uh, good communications with Taswater and they've got a a long-term program to try to improve their aged infrastructure. But uh, there's a, a long way ahead for fixing that problem. We do encourage Taswater to get a better understanding of its impacts on the environment. And this relates to issues like state of the environment reporting, which probably should be of a higher quality and frequency in the state as well. So it is an issue of uh, public good to know more about the nature of our environment, including our waterways. So uh, we encourage uh, the relevant officials and um, politicians to improve that reporting and Taswater to have a better understanding of their own impact as well. As CEO of Oysters Tasmania, Duncan Spender, talking there to Larissa Smith. Taswater was asked for a response. The spokesperson says it invests heavily in the health of all Tasmanian waterways and collaborates closely with the oyster industry. Coming up in just a moment, what the visit to China by Penny Wong could mean for the wine industry. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Hobart in 2023. We'll take you to the live action. I'm getting a tech wire plumber at the moment. Oh, no! <laughs> there's the lighter news. Tasmania is out of Jim Sims. And there's breaking news. Because if we don't protect our democracy, then it gets shaved away. And that's something that we should take seriously. ABC Radio Hobart. I'm looking forward to listening to it more. Love it. Keep us by your side in 2023. It's the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Coming up shortly, we'll talk about the new sweeter strawberry variety which has been grown here in Tasmania and distributed to supermarkets in time for Christmas. Well, as Foreign Minister Penny Wong prepares to meet with Chinese officials later today, Australia's peak wine body is hopeful Australia's trade relationship with the country may be on the mend. It's the first visit by an Australian minister since 2019 after tensions rose between the Morrison government and Beijing over the origins of the COVID pandemic. Minister Wong is set to hold talks with her Chinese counterpart Wang Yi later this evening. In late 2020, China imposed so-called anti-dumping tariffs of up to 218% on Australian wine, effectively killing a market worth a billion dollars a year. Australian Grape and Wine CEO Lee McLean says the body is cautiously optimistic about what the fresh diplomatic dialogue might mean for the wine trade. Well, it's been a, a really massive couple of years for Australian grape growers and winemakers and, and not a particularly good couple of years, to be honest. Um, uh, China, uh, a couple of years back now, uh, imposed um, uh, import duties on Australian wines, Australian bottled wines of up to 218%. Which effectively shut down what was what what was once a, a 1.2 billion dollar market for us. And to put that in perspective, um, uh, China was number one by value in terms of our export markets, and numbers two and three were the US and the UK, and they sat at just under 500 million each. So it was really an enormous shock to the Australian wine industry, and we're still feeling the repercussions of of that shock. And for many growers out there, we're really just at the beginning of the 
the uh, the period of pain in terms of the oversupply situation that has ensued. Now that the Foreign Minister Penny Wong is travelling over to China, obviously there has finally been some communication between the Australian government and the Chinese government. Does this give you a little bit of hope that some of these trade sanctions may be removed or reduced? Well, look, it does. I think we're cautiously optimistic about it. And, you know, in, in the most basic of terms, I don't think we can solve any problems uh, if we're not talking. So dialogue is terrific. It's great that we're having... Uh, meetings at the ministerial level, at the prime minister's level as well. And we hope that that certainly leads to a, a situation in which our relationship uh, can be uh, become normal again. Uh, we know that uh, there was that period of sort of deep freeze uh, at the political and officials level for a long time. And that made it very difficult for us to make any progress on some of the trade issues that we we were facing. So we, we certainly hope that that dialogue can continue and that we can see a normalisation of relations in the future, because that's going to open up opportunities for us to talk about how we might be able to work through some of these trade tensions. Even if these trade tensions are resolved or eased and there is a better trade relationship between Australia and China, do you think that some exporters would be once bitten, twice shy and maybe not as keen to get back into the China market? Yeah, look, I, I think there's really strong demands for Australian wine in China still. That's that's what we hear from our members. Uh, they hear that from their customers. So I think if the market reopens again, we will see Australian exporters heading into China. But there's no doubt that for a lot of businesses out there, you know, their risk profile about doing business in China will be very different than it was five years ago. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't expect um, that we would see that return to a $1.2 billion export industry in the short to medium term. But certainly there will be a number of businesses out there that will be looking to to uh, export to wines to China in the, in the near term. And what about diversification? Over the past two years, trying to work through whether or not we'd even get the China market back, how well has diversification actually been achieved for Australian exporters? Yeah, it's a really good question. So essentially, we've put a huge amount of effort into trying to diversify markets, but it hasn't been as easy for the Australian wine sector as it probably has been for some other areas of the uh, the Australian agriculture uh, sector. Um, we have had some uh, growth in areas like Southeast Asia, um, some growth at the high end in the, U uh, the US as well. Um, but in terms of being able to sort of work through that that massive shock that we experienced as a result of the closure of the China market. Um, there is really no single market or no collection of markets that could have uh, could have replaced what we lost in China. So it is much more of a slow burn for us. Um, but there are some bright spots, Japan and Korea as well, uh, Southeast Asia, the US, and in the long term, India, uh, all look promising. Uh, and we'll you know, the critical thing for us is that we can we uh, continue that export diversification effort, regardless of whether China um, opens up to us again or not. Australian Grape and Wine CEO Lee McLean speaking there with Jane McNaughton about the relationship with China as Foreign Minister Penny Wong prepares to meet her Chinese counterpart Wang Yi later this evening. I think the uh, time for the meeting is about six o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. Well, a new variety of strawberry has hit Australian shelves for the first time, and they're all grown here in Tasmania. The strawberry is called the Zara, and apparently it's sweeter than all the rest. Meg Powell headed to a berry patch in northwest Tasmania to give them a taste test with Cameron Folder from Costa Berries, 
and Marius Bazaza from Driscoll's Australia. So we've got uh, some of the very first um, Zara strawberries. Um, Zara, it's a new variety um, that has been commercialized in, in, in Tasmania. It's the variety that it goes uh, in our sweetest batch uh, label. That's uh, a super sweet strawberry um, for, uh, for the Australian customers. So a nice red, uh, shiny strawberry. Very perfect looking. Looks like a cartoon even. Okay, can I get you to take a big bite out of it and then describe to me the flavour? <laughs> yeah, sure thing, why not? It's, uh, I've done that a few times. Yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> mm. This is really good. So what, what we've got in the Zara and why it's so, so special is really a very strong, authentic flavour, I, I would call it. It's, uh, it's a lot sweeter than your average strawberries as such. Um, and this is on the back of... Um, um, the genetic improvement as such, the work that our breeders are, are always doing um, while they select new genetics, but also um, the way that, uh, that um, Cameron and his team, the growers in Tasmania, are, are growing the variety. It's a lot in, uh, in, in what the growers are doing to, to get that sweetness and the pop in flavour in the strawberries. Sounds delightful. Are they growing anywhere else? So um, in the, the currently only in, in Tasmania, in Australia, the variety is commercial in, in UK and has been um, sold as a premium strawberry in UK since 2017. So um, 2022, the first year uh, for, for it in Australia. Tasmania's long, long summers with great day length um, leads to growing a, um, you know, a fantastic fruit. I guess that's the same with most fruits grown in, in this state. It's, it's a long ripening time, plenty of time for the plant to develop those flavours. Mm. Um, you know, Driscoll's have quite a lot of berries grown in in southeast Queensland still, and really the Tasmanian production complements that really well. So Australian consumers can have strawberries year-round out of those two strong production areas. You've got a million of these Zara plants here now. How long have you been working on this? So uh, it's, it's been a while in the making as such. Uh, we've started working on the Sweetest Batch Strawberry Program since 2018 uh, when we've had the first uh, two um, strawberry plants arriving in, in, in Australia, um, effectively trialling it from 2020. Um, and that was really to perfection the um, growing techniques uh, and fine-tune them to the Tasmanian climate. So you would say uh, four years all, all up to get to a, a million plants where we are today. Is that fast? It sounds fast to me. Uh, yeah, it's fast. I think, uh, you know, when we're looking at our, our processes where we've got uh, everything fairly well refined and, and a lean process to, to accelerate um, the deployment of new varieties um, that are, are worth uh, the effort as such. Yeah? How creative can you get with these, with these new varieties? Can you make sour-flavoured ones, lolly-flavoured ones? Um, yeah, look, it's um, yes, it is. I mean, uh, I'm not the, the the expert into into breeding, but there are um, selecting processes where you can go for slightly um, grapier flavor in the strawberries, if that makes sense, candier as such. Um, uh, so yes, there are, but it's a it's a long burning technique and. I don't know the ins and outs of it, to be honest. <laughs> so, pretty technical. <laughs> it's pretty technical, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting that, you know, you get a group of people like us here and you have a discussion and something go, oh, that's a bit sweet or I prefer something sour, but I think um, sales data tells a different story and definitely the, um, the sweeter um, and, so and 
not so much in strawberries, but the other berry size, um, really we're seeing good good consumer demand for, for sweeter, larger um, berries. Are these on the shelves yet? Yes, yes, it is. It is on the shelf. So um, uh, it's been uh, available for about uh, three weeks now in uh, Tasmania and on the mainland. This, this variety as well has been sweet. We talked about that a lot and the flavour of it, but it's also had a few um, attributes as a grower that have been good, which actually translate for a, a um, consumer as well. And they're fairly firm. Uh, they're a mid-size sort of berry they're not the really big ones they're sort of medium size strawberry perfect shape firm good shelf life they'll last a long time so yeah to really enjoy the the flavor of of the strawberries from a consumer perspective the best would be to um, bring fruit to ambient temperature keep them out of the fridge for a couple of hours before you consume them and that way you'll really uh, enjoy the the flavor of, of the new sweetest batch strawberries like a cheese that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mario Sports from Driscoll's Australia and New Zealand, giving Meg Powell a taste of Australia's newest strawberry variety called the Zara, sweeter than ever. You also heard from Costa Berry's Cameron Folder. Still to come on the Country Hour, a unique map to try and prevent cross-breeding in carrot seeds, plus a Christmas bonus for some dairy farmers and the livestock markets. We'll check them with Richard, plus a check on the weather. First up, the news headlines with Ellie Ward. Thanks, Tony. The lives of two young Queensland police officers killed in the line of duty have been remembered at a public memorial service in Brisbane. Constables Rachel McCrow and Matthew Arnold were killed in an ambush on an isolated property on the Western Downs last week, along with local man. Alan Dare. The US Drug Enforcement Agency says it seized nearly 400 million doses of fentanyl in 2022, enough to kill every American. Consumer Protection and the Department of Fire and Emergency Services in Western Australia are warning of the fire risk posed by lithium-ion batteries. The batteries are used in a range of household items, including smartphones, laptops, e-writables, cordless vacuums, toys and tools. And on a conservative estimate, lithium batteries have caused between 50 and 60 structure fires in Western Australia this year. And a man has escaped jail for stealing $75,000 worth of water from a pipe to irrigate an Adelaide Hills Vineyard. The pipe was illegally accessed 195 times since 2012, which the judge said showed the vineyard manager had engaged in an ongoing course of conduct. More news at one. Time now to check the latest on the weather. Michael Conway joins us from the Bureau. G'day, Michael. G'day, Tony. Uh, Much rain about? No, there hasn't been. The only rain we've had is a few light falls in the northwest. So we had uh, Bernie, Yola, Gawler River, and also Mount Victoria in the north had had one millimetre yesterday, 24 hours to 9am this morning, and there's been no rain reported since then. Okay. Sneaking up closer and closer to the Christmas weekend, uh, what's ahead of us? Yeah, well, I'll just snap straight to the, the important day of question in question. Uh, Sunday, the, just looking like there might be a few light morning showers about the west, of the state, but fine elsewhere around the state and, and really mostly sunny conditions. Fairly light winds, so just some west and northwesterly winds with some afternoon sea breezes in the east, so it's going to be a lovely warm day. And we'll, the maximum temps for Hobart and Launceston are looking at 25 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Santa will be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But apart from that, it's it's mainly fine for the next around Tasmania for the next four days. There there could be a chance of a shower today about elevated parts of the north, but light falls just drizzly around less than one millimetre sort of falls. Uh, on tomorrow, there's a trough moving through, a very weak trough, um, and it's going to bring some showers to the northwest in the morning, extending through the rest of the west during the day, perhaps into the northeast later in the day. Uh, and then on Friday, some it'll a bit more extensive as a um, another trough moves through. So we've got isolated showers about pretty much statewide, becoming a little more scattered in the afternoon. There's also the chance of a thunderstorm through most of inland eastern and central parts um, during the afternoon. So we'll have to watch that one. Um, just some, it's pretty light winds on Friday, and they'll be coming west to northwesterly in the afternoon. And uh, Christmas Eve, how's it looking? Yeah, just light winds about, uh, pretty nice weather. Um, uh, light light showers uh, about the west, fine elsewhere. Uh, afternoon sea breezes in the east, and that's for Saturday and, and Sunday. And the early part of next week, uh, Michael, leading into New Year, what's it looking like? Yeah, the, uh, the, the main thing to say for those days is the temperature is really going to start picking up. So it's looking like... Well, with with the uh, Hobart uh, the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, on uh, we'll be getting northeasterly winds through the through the uh, Boxing Day and the day after. So, what's that Tuesday? Um, and then then they'll be coming around to southeasterlies on Wednesday. So it could be a fairly quick race. Just my you know, I'm not not expert opinion. It seems pretty pretty good for for yacht racing, but. Um, the the weather is going to be quite warm, especially Tuesday into Wednesday, with temperatures heading up around the 30 degree mark. So um, warm air coming down from off the continent for those days. So we'll have to watch out for those. Mm. Do we know if it's going to be windy those days? Uh, perhaps on Wednesday, Tuesday would be more like uh, light or northerly winds bringing down bringing down the hot air, the hot warm to hot air. Okay. Uh, any warnings at this stage? There's only one wind warning for at the moment for today, one area, so that's far northwest coast. There's a strong wind warning, clear otherwise for today and tomorrow. And for the coastal waters and swell, people might sure. want to catch something for the Christmas lunch <laughs> table. It'd be good to get out there. The winds aren't too bad. So today we've got east to northeasterlies at 10 to 20 knots. Reaching up to t- 20 to 30 knots about the northwest. Uh, winds tending more variable in the west. Uh, tomorrow we've got similar sort of winds. So we've got east to northeast winds again at 10 to 20 knots. Winds tending more variable around 10 knots in the west, tending southeasterly in the northwest in the evening. The swells about in the west and south for today. We've got southwesterly at one to one and a half metres. It's going to increase a bit in parts to one to two metres uh, southwesterly tomorrow. In the north is a westerly swell under one metre, and in the east. A southwest to southeasterly swell at uh, 0.5 to 1.5 metres for both days. And the wave riders? Yeah, sure. So both of them are one metre. So very not very often you get to say that, but one oh, yeah. metre for both. Pretty good. <laughs> okay, Michael, thank you for that. Thanks, Danny. Have All a good Easter. Easter. Yeah. Uh, Easter Christmas. Sorry, <laughs> mate. I wasn't... <laughs> that was a slip. All right. See that you later. A, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Exactly. <laughs> Michael Conway is <laughs> a bit ahead of himself there. Uh, Will on the text line says, nothing has ever wanted more than the unobtainable. They're in a big country with restrictions on Australian wine sales. The easing of tariffs, even gradually, may in fact boost demand. Things are hopefully looking up. Yay and Merry Christmas to all. 
And uh, same to you. Thank you for that, Will. Coming up, we shall look at a unique map, a carrot seed map where carrots are being grown commercially. That story in a moment. ABC Listen. Earlier this year, Russian President Vladimir Putin decided to invade Ukraine. Matt Bevan's award-winning podcast, Russia If You're Listening, is back for a new season. But he encountered something he wasn't expecting. The President of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. In-depth exploration of the invasion of Ukraine. We are fighting for our life, we are fighting for our freedom. The new season of Russia If You're Listening, available now on the ABC Listen app. Coast to Coast, this is the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. The livestock markets at Powerena coming up a little bit later in the program. Blink and you'll miss it, but uh, that's with Richard coming up shortly. Three of the state's main players in vegetable seed production are collaborating to create a digital map of carrot crops. It's worth around $8.5 million at the farm gate, the uh, carrots. The seed paddocks need to be isolated to avoid cross-pollination, but that's sometimes difficult across some 600 hectares being grown. Andrew Jones from South Pacific Seeds says the industry needed to come up with a more sophisticated method of tracking commercial production. One of the major steps in producing pure carrot seed or, or vegetable seed of any sort when we're producing hybrid crops is uh, maintaining good isolation between fields. And uh, that can come in two forms, and one of them is um, isolation from uh, other other crops of different types or different varieties, but also within the field, we need to make sure we don't have any volunteers or plants of the same species in the surrounding or adjacent areas that can outcross with them. When you talk about separation, does there need to be kilometres apart or just a paddock in between? Um, with vegetable seed, it uh, is more than often kilometres and um, that is determined by whether they are different varieties, different types or different colours. And uh, in that order, there is an increasing need for a greater distance. So, for instance, two carrots of different colours need five kilometres between them, whereas two carrots of um, different varieties only need two kilometres between them if they're the same type and same colour. You have mapped crops in the past, so what's new about this collaboration that might make the process a little easier in the future when the industry is is going to continue to expand, I guess? Yeah, look, in the past, um, all the companies individually have been using their own mapping systems, whether that be Measure Map or Google Earth or their own internal systems. So we, we have our own internal history and record of where we're growing, but each year we've always sat down as a group um, or individuals um, communicating with other parties and discussed where we're going to have our crops, you know, what our planning is, um, and used paper maps, which often entailed using a pen lid or a... Or a um, a ruler and the degree of accuracy that we had there wasn't probably going to keep us um, in good stead professionally. Um, you know, a matter of a millimetre on some scale maps can be 100 metres or 200 metres. So we were looking for uh, a more accurate system that we could use to digitise it, which um, allows us to be more accurate, but also have that historical and, and written record of the agreements in place. So when this map is completed, what will it look like? To the individual users, uh, the, the companies will only be able to see their own, their own crops. Uh, they won't have visibility or vision 
of all the other companies, acreages, types, varieties and areas. But uh, if you were to put a pin in there and it had a conflict, the, the system will generate an alert for the two companies concerned to uh, have a meeting and discuss the outcome and then replace the pin or, or make an agreement that they're going to um, allow the two to go through. You've contracted a, a firm within Tasmania to develop this, this special map? Yeah, look, we explored several options. Uh, you know, one of them was just to use Google Earth, but we wanted a system that someone could administer for us and that person that we've we've nominated to move forward with is S mapping and we wanted a system that would record the da- the data and keep it secure and allow the degrees of visibility or disclosure that we agreed on you know we had several meetings leading up to it and an IP protection uh, visibility of of what we're all doing in different areas was a key point so you know the systems that were in place at the moment were fairly simple, didn't have good security around them. So S-Mapping have been engaged to actually develop a program on behalf of the three companies involved. So will this map essentially store data from previous seasons in terms of locations so that you can go back and see what was grown two years ago in, in that paddock? Moving forward, that is the aim. It will record any data that it's entered into the system moving forward each season. But uh, we have also discussed and looking at the option of being able to put some historical data back in there, which is going to be a little bit more time consuming and something we can facilitate during the quieter months of the year. But uh, if we could get, you know, say five years information on that system, it will prove valuable in in minimising our risks and making our decisions to where we put crops in the future. You're talking specifically about carrot seed for the start of this project, but is it applicable to other vegetable seed crops? It's applicable to all vegetable seed crops, but it also has application um, in non-vegetable seed crops as well. So there's been interest um, from the Tasmanian Seed Industry Group, the committee there and, and representatives people involved with canola, the poppy industry, uh, grass seed, clover, because it does add another dimension of being able to record where crops have been, back that up against where bees are going to be placed. Because having having an isolation between crops is one thing, but if you halve that isolation by putting your bees in the middle, it's also going to create problems. So, you know, it's got a broader spectrum or a broader range of um, uses moving forward, and that's been part of the interest and the reason why we're developing this. We've chosen carrots initially. We're sort of picking the low-hanging fruit and and one of the bigger sectors of our industry to tick off. But once we get it developed, we'd like to uh, expand that out into onions, beet, chard, uh, brassicas, yeah, and so on. Can you see carrot seed production growing in Tasmania? Yes, I can. We've we've hit a little bit of a, a speed hump in that we've had some... Uh, reduction in orders in the previous season and that's mainly because we've been very successful at what we've done and other areas have had good seasons as well so the demand is um, determined by how much inventory is in place as well and a lot of companies had a lot of inventory but that's been reset and I think Tasmania has a great future there's certainly the flavour of the month in regard to carrots. Andrew Jones is the Northern Tasmanian Manager with South Pacific Seeds talking there to Larissa Smith they're working with Bejo's Seeds and Ben Lomond Ag on a new digital mapping project for commercial carrot seed production across the state. 
Well, to the dairy industry now, and for the first time in twenty in its 127-year history, dairy co-op Norco will pay its suppliers a Christmas bonus with an extra 10 cents a litre for milk supplied on the festive holiday. It's a small sweetener after a disastrous year for the co-op and its suppliers in northern New South Wales and southern Queensland, with floods causing significant damage to the farms and the ice cream factory in South Lismore. CEO Michael Hampson told Kim Honan the extra payment was to recognise and reward farmers for their efforts. You know, we're always thinking about ways within our means that we can help and support our farmers because they do do a lot of hard work for us. And, uh, you know, we hope that it just, just helps them have, uh, have a good Christmas day. And is this the first time that Norco has offered this Christmas bonus for milk? Uh, as, far, as far as I'm aware, I mean, Norco is 127 years old. Kim, I haven't, haven't been around there for all that time, but, but certainly this is, this is the first that I've heard about it. And it was just... One of those things that we're, we're sitting there talking about, you know, what are, what are the ways that we can just say thank you to our farmers? And we thought, well, what better way to, to recognise them on a day where, you know, the rest of the country is probably sitting back and, and, and enjoying a bit of a rest. And, you know, these, these guys, girls, family members are, are getting up still at half past four in the morning to get out there and milk the cows and then do it again um, after Christmas lunch in the afternoon. So it represents a 12% increase in milk pay on the day. Is it enough, though? I spoke to, to one supplier who said it'd be lucky to cover his leave loading for staff on that day, Christmas Day. Oh, look, I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's a great gesture. It's it's more than just the dollar value. It's the fact that we're there thinking about about their farmers, and and indeed, you know, some farmers, if they're larger farmers, it's going to be a material amount of money. Um, for smaller farmers, it's still going to be a pretty good a pretty good piece of money for them to pocket. So, what sort of bonus would it be for for an average farmer? Are we talking about like maybe it's you know a thousand dollars? It depends on the size of the size of the farm, but um, you know, some farms might receive a hundred dollars. Some might receive over, well over $1,000. It all depends on how much milk that they provide us there on, on Christmas Day. And how much do you expect that this Christmas bonus will cost Norco? And, you know, how can you afford it? You've reported a $27.5 million loss uh, last financial year. Yeah, so last year we reported a loss based on the one-off events for the flood, but we also reported the second highest operating profit in the history of the cooperative, notwithstanding the fact that we we had, you know, our ice cream factory that, that went down and we lost the returns from that business, two rural stores that were out of action for nearly three months and we lost our mill at Lismore. So, you know, our organisation is still powering ahead really strong and, and, and indeed from the 1st of July we increased our mill prices to our farmers to the tune of around $30 million. It's just that recognition um, for for the farmers for their, for their hard work and and again, from our AGM, where we took them up to the Gold Coast for a couple of days, and you know we had a really good session where we spoke about their business and and how we'd like to improve it, and how we'd like to um, you know take our brand forward. So you know, and, and obviously with the, the ongoing consumer support that the that consumers provide us, we're able to provide this this support back to our farmers, which is just fantastic. So, how much do you think it will cost, Norco, this bonus? It'll depend on how much milk um, is delivered, Kim, but it'll certainly be over $100,000, that's for sure. Yeah, and would you like to see other processes follow suit and pay a bonus for Christmas Day milk? Oh, look, that's up to other processes, but um, certainly certainly we think that all farmers um, work very hard and, and, and we, we can only support our farmers. And, and if farmers feel like that they, 
they're not getting the support from their processor, they're always welcome to come and talk to us. That's Michael Hampson, CEO of Norco Dairy Co-op, speaking there to Kim Honan about uh, paying its suppliers a Christmas bonus with an extra 10 cents a litre for milk supplied on the festive holiday this year. Well, bog machinery, crash trailers and grain that didn't quite up end up where it didn't quite end up where it was meant to be. Those are among some of the mishaps that featured in O'Malley Pub's Best Harvest Stuff-Up competition. The photo entries were judged by Patchawallock Hotel patrons at an almost-there cutout party on Saturday night. A rural reporter, Angus Verley, spoke with the publican Belinda Notley about the winning entries. Yes, Eric and I ran the competition um, just for a bit of light-hearted entertainment, I guess, for the, for the locals. So we had three contestants that won in the end. So it was a local young lass, Kirsten Yetman, won. She um, bogged her tractor and the bin. Um, it, was, it was a fairly good uh, bog. We actually did, um, to, to win the competition, we had all the pictures all posted around the hotel and we had a big poster up and everyone got to vote who they thought. So it was the locals that voted the winners. So Kirsten came in first and then another young local, Tom Tom Griggy, came second with um, shoveling all the wheat. It uh, missed the destination and he was trying to shovel that back into the back of the, the, the tipper. And third was a young boy from... Um, just out of town, uh, Liam Farnsworth, he comes here with a, a trailer that had rolled over with quite a load of chemicals on it, which was an expensive little event in the end, but everyone was everyone was okay and everything, but the trailer was uh, a little bit worse for wear. And I have seen some of the pictures that you've been putting up on Facebook, and yes, there are some pretty spectacular stuff-ups. Yeah, we had one um, one local Tim. There's a photo of him standing in the hole and half of him's gone. You can see him from sort of waist up standing in the hole that he was bogged in. There was, we were actually quite um, impressed with the amount of entries that we got. There was lots and lots of people that sent photos in, which was great. It was a bit slow to start off with, but towards the end there, we got lots from sort of around the outer areas as well, which was really, really good. We we're very happy with that. And very fitting too that uh, with with such a wet harvest that the uh, the winning entry or the worst stuff up or the best stuff up, uh, Kirsten Yetman was uh, yeah getting badly bogged. Yeah, oh, yeah, she done a good job. We had one photo which was quite surprising it was a, a tadpole and it was huge. It was in amongst the bottom of the bin when they'd cut all their wheat and everything. It was this whopping very big tadpole in there. So that just goes to show you exactly how much water was out there. But their whole night was. We had an excellent night. We raised two thousand two hundred dollars towards some breast cancer research with our raffle and donations. The community was just amazing with their donations. We we I've done some ringing around and Marcella that works with me, her and I spent today just racing around picking up prizes. And there was a hundred prizes, so everyone that bought a raffle ticket got a prize. Um, we had some excellent prizes for an auction. We, you know, nearly eight hundred dollars in auction as well. And another local, um, Tommy Spriggs, he was he had a sale at his house, and every time someone come to pick something up, he was like, put some money in the tin, and he donated one hundred and thirty dollars towards the cause. So it was overall, it was such a successful night. You know, six, over sixty people turned up, which is amazing considering everyone's in the middle of harvest. And that's yeah. it. This this party, uh, this pre Christmas party, harvest cutout party usually sort of signals the end of harvest, but such a late season this year, lots lots still happening. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Eric, my husband, <laughs> was still cooking because we put a big barbecue on and he was still cooking at, you know, midnight as people were coming in to make sure everyone got some something to eat. And, yeah, it was amazing. It was such a really good night.
and Belinda, I, I'm sure, sort of lots of banter and and uh, people who featured on the wall getting getting plenty of stick as well for their stuff ups. Oh yeah, there was lots of that going on, especially when everyone had to vote, and it was yeah, <laughs> it was it was quite funny. As you said, Belinda, that the intention of the competition was to to bring a bit of bit of humour into a difficult harvest, and it sounds like that's that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, yeah, it did. It um, yeah, give everyone a chance to talk about it and rub everyone up and a bit of a bit of a stir here and a bit of a jibber jab here, and yeah, that was good. Are you impressed or surprised, Belinda? I mean, some of these stuff ups certainly time consuming, potentially very costly, but people still able to to uh, get, get a laugh out of it and not, not dwell too much on, on the negatives? Yeah, um, some of the photos took a little bit of coaxing to get. Some of the people were, you know, would come in and say, well, you know, this happened to well, well, did you get a photo? Well, yes. I said, well, no, I don't want to put it up. Okay. And, you know, a couple of days later, they come through. Well, there's others that have come in and go, where's my photo? It's not up there yet, and someone else had taken the photo. But, yeah, everyone, I think, you know, at the time, didn't see the funny side of it, I guess, because I did. You know, some of them were, you know, took quite a long time to get them out. The big bogs, you know, had to get equipment out to dig them out and things like that. But yeah, at the end of it all, they all sort of, you know, got to have the laugh about it and have the joke about it, which was, which was what the whole thing was about. And I suppose that sense of solidarity too, that everyone's in the same boat and and knowing that you're not the only one who's having things go wrong. Absolutely, and everyone around here was so supportive. Like, as soon as someone, you know, they'd be in the bar, just walked in and someone would be like, oh, someone's bogged in. Oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll put lights on the, on the ute and straight gone. Out to help, you know, pull them out or even just to be on the road with their lights on, with their flashing lights to let other people know that, you know, that there's something on the road that's stuck or, yeah, just the, the community support for each other. Phone call, need, need an excavator, yep, on my way, all sorts of things like that, just all the time. And that's what, that's what small communities all about. And just finally, Belinda, for you, yourself and your husband, I think you've been in Patchy around about a year now. Yeah. Um, what's your experience been and what are your impressions of the town and of the community? It's a great little town. Like when we first come here, we were like, oh, you know, it's only very small. But, yeah, the camaraderie in the town is amazing. Everyone looks after everyone. You know, the minute someone's in trouble, everyone stops and helps. The support, even of just of like the hotel, the community support, there's a little shop and we've got the community shop and the and the hotel and that's pretty much it. Everyone's there to support each other and they support these little our little businesses to keep us going. Someone's in need, there's no no, you know, hesitation for anyone to, to stop and help and and just in time, give their time. It's an amazing community. We're we're very lucky to be here, I think, and to have made we've made some good friends and, and there's lots of good people in the area that um just make you feel very, very welcome, which is great. Belinda Nodley from the Patchewallock Hotel speaking there with Angus Verley about the Best Harvest Stuff-Up competition, which was finalised at the weekend. Probably been a lot of uh, a lot of those in Tasmania too with the uh, the wet paddocks this year. <laughs> You'd probably do with a competition like that as well. All right, coming up in just a moment, we'll uh, listen to uh, Richard Bailey and the Livestock Markets. Stay tuned to ABC Radio Hobart in 2023. We'll take you to the live action. I'm getting attacked by a plumber at the moment. Oh, no. <laughs> there's the lighter news. Tasmania is out of Dim Sims. And there's breaking news. Because if we don't protect our democracy, then it gets shaved away. And that's something that we should take seriously. ABC Radio Hobart. I'm looking forward to listening to it more. Love it. Keep us by your side in 2023. 
It's the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Okay, let's head out to the livestock markets to find out what's been happening with Richard Bailey. How are you, Richard? Travelling well, Tony. Travelling well. Just out of the last few days before the big fella comes in. Yeah, you ready for it all? Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, did Santa make an appearance at Power Rennie yesterday? No, he didn't, but he wasn't the only one missing. Um, we didn't have any cattle. And uh, and uh, it's not unusual for this time of the year, and it's not my call. But I seriously doubt whether or not this sale should be held. But anyway, that's out of my out of my league. But um, then we went over to the lambs and sheep. Not many, but uh, the best of the lambs made 150 to 158 dollars, and the rest anywhere from 120 to 145 dollars. Uh, there were two, two or three good lines of uh, mutton of ewes, and they made anywhere from sixty to sixty-eight dollars a head, which is probably fractionally cheaper on they were a couple of weeks ago, but about where most of the mutton is sitting at the moment. Um, so pretty light on. Uh, we've got a pretty busy January coming up, though, uh, particularly as far as store sheep sales go. You know, we, that first week back. We've got the Tama Valley lamb sale, and then on the Friday we've got a, a piranha combined with Kenilworth and Tunbridge, and then the following week we've got a, a Midland Circuit sale and an Oatland sheep sale, and the following week after that we've got a piranha cattle sale, store cattle sale. So we've got a bit on in January to look forward to. Okay. Did you uh, have a celebration for Christmas after the sale? Well, it was a little barbecue there, which is always very pleasant, yes. Okay. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what was the main uh, topic? Still the weather? Um, no, probably not the weather, I think. I think probably um, where the cattle prices are going. There's a, there's a lot of conjecture as to yeah, what's, uh, why the cattle prices have fallen a bit over the last few weeks. And also, I think the lamb prices, I think um, it's well known that the good quality lambs throughout Eastern Australia are selling exceptionally well. But, you know, places like uh, Jenny Kelly at, at, uh, that does Bendigo, does the report at Bendigo, has been saying for some weeks now that Bendigo is no more than the store sale at the moment. So that's indicating that the quality of the lambs, you know, they just haven't done in this cold, wet weather. I think most people are a bit concerned as to, you know, how many lambs are going to be in front of us in the next four or five months. And uh, But that's they're the sort of talking points, I think. You know, a lot of people have, have got their hay done, or if they haven't got the, got it done, they're getting they've got it cut and ready to go. So, you know, things are moving along pretty well. A little bit better uh, weather, sort of warmth-wise, which has been quite pleasant. Yeah. All right, Richard. Well, on Friday we'll talk about the uh, the mainland markets and uh, maybe wrap up the year and uh, look back and reflect on what an interesting year it's it's been in the livestock <laughs> markets. That, that'll be an, an interesting topic, Tony. Look forward to it. Talk then. Cheers. Yes, and Bill on the text line from Longford says, Hi, Tony. Thanks to Richard Bailey for his comprehensive stock market reports. He has a great knowledge for our farmers. That's Farmer Bill from Longford. Good on you, Bill. And he also says, Merry Christmas to you all at the ABC. Merry Christmas to you, Bill, as well. And, yeah, Richard will be back with us on Friday for a final look at the markets for the year on the Country Hour. That's our program for today. Don't forget our ABC Rural Facebook page or ABC Rural Online Catch you after midday tomorrow.